That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. Welcome to BX, Beyond Stereotypes, a podcast about lawyers using their authentic voices to change the world. I believe strongly that you have to have to be yourself. You can't be anyone else. And uh, there's no, no one way <laughs> uh, to be black. <laughs> there's no one way to practice law. Uh, and there's no right or wrong way. It's, it's what you choose uh, to do. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that none of us wants or needs to be at a place where we can't be ourselves. Sometimes in life, um, our parents and grandparents certainly had to do that. We have to stay on a job because we have to put food on the table and we have to pay the mortgage or the rent and all the other things that most of us have to deal with. But where there is an opportunity, don't settle. Don't settle and uh, find your voice, find your opportunity. Welcome to BS Beyond Stereotypes. I'm your host, Merle Vaughn. Here to BS with me today is Ben Wilson, who I'm honored to have with us. And I am sure that you will find not only fascinating, but inspiring. Uh, And I'm sure that he will inspire all of you to embrace your authenticity. Hey, Ben, how are you doing? I'm well, Merle. How are you today? I'm actually COVID good. (laughs) I'm I'm pandemic good. That's what I've been saying to people for the last year, year or so. Well, I'll join that club. I'm very grateful, had my vaccinations and good health and good spirits and so pleased to be a part of your podcast today. Thank you. Awesome. So let me tell the, the listeners a little bit about you. Uh, I'm sure most of the people who listen to this podcast actually know who you are probably better than I do. Uh, ben is the chairman of Beverage and Diamond, uh, a firm located in Washington, D.C. He's been chairman since t- uh, 2017. Uh, the firm is a 100-lawyer environmental law firm. Ben is an environmental litigator, uh, and he's also an advocate uh, for diversity and inclusion and an inspiration to me in that area for sure. Ben is on multiple boards, and he is an adjunct professor at Howard University. And last but not least, in 2008, Ben founded the very successful Diverse, Diverse Partner Network, Um, Oh, and then I should also add that Ben attended uh, Dartmouth undergrad and Harvard Law School. What did I leave out, Ben? Well, you got it right and uh, more than anyone would want to hear. I would like you to know that while I am based in Washington, Mm -hmm. we have offices in Boston, Baltimore, uh, Austin, Texas, San Francisco, uh, Seattle, uh, New York, and uh, very proud of our environmental law firm. And we're now up to 125 lawyers in all those offices. So extremely proud. And and last but not least, also very proud of the opportunity to teach at the Howard Law School. And I've taught there for 15 years now, environmental law and environmental justice course. And we have terrific students at Howard and uh, uh, very proud of them. Thank you. Well, thanks. Thanks for, for uh, adding that. I, I appreciate it. Um, so let's start with uh, environmental law. Okay. That, that, you know, you have to be one of the few uh, black environmental lawyers in the country, especially who have reached the heights that you have in the, in the profession. Um, how did that happen? How did that come about? Well, Merle, all by accident. You know, when I was in law school years ago, they didn't even teach environmental law. They taught a course called administrative law. And the one case 
that was uh, discussed was the Overton Park case. And Overton Park is a park in Memphis, Tennessee, and it related to the construction of I-40, the interstate that starts in uh, North Carolina and uh, wins its way south and then west all the way to California. And, uh, um, and it's a famous case because there, writing for the Supreme Court, uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall made it clear that uh, on a matter that had a significant impact on the environment, that one would have to do an environmental impact statement. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I teach my students at Howard, I want them to know that one of uh, perhaps their most famous graduate of the law school actually played an important role in that watershed case. And so is that is that case or the fact that uh, Justice Marshall uh, was so significant in it, was, is, is that what inspired you to become an environmental lawyer? <laughs> no, no. The truth is that I, um, I got a chance there. Merle, I started with a law firm in Atlanta, King and & Spaulding, and I was in litigation. And I remember I was moved to tax and, uh, and I was not a tax lawyer and I didn't know much about it. So I thought I'd teach myself. I published six articles in a year and I figured if I wrote about something, I might learn it. And then later I went to the Department of Justice. The joke was that I was the player to be named later when uh, um, Attorney General Griffin Bell returned to the firm and um, um, but I wanted to learn how to try cases. Have you ever seen that musician, Merle, who can play the music without having the music on the piano or the fellow who can dribble the ball with their head up? That's what I wanted to do yeah. with the practice of law. I wanted that facility. And the Department of Justice threw me in the deep water. I'd have to sink or swim. I'm not certain if I swam, <laughs> but I didn't sink. And, okay. and then when I came out, I didn't have a legion of offers, but one of the firms that gave me an offer, uh, which I joined, um, represented the Puerto Rico Aqueduct and Sewer Authority, and they were the number one target of Region 1 of EPA. And uh, I started out as a gopher Merle, and later I became the young uh, partner in charge of that case. And uh, and that's what started it. And, and then later when I left that firm, uh, Beverage and Diamond, uh, a firm that had actually turned me down on two occasions, wow. uh, uh, made me an wow. offer, and I am uh, very grateful. Ever wow. Since. So the third time was the charm, huh? Yeah. Either that or warm down, right? <laughs> <laughs> Either way. And, uh, and it's it's fascinating, Merle. I didn't know about that, but one of the my early administrative duties at the firm was to head the recruiting committee, and back then we had a box with the letters of people who had applied to the firm in alpha order. And I thought, I, I wonder if I applied to this firm and then found the letters that I'd written and the uh, rejections that wow. I'd received. And wow. I wish I'd saved those letters, but, uh, uh, but there's nothing like a little reality to instill needed humility. In, uh, exactly. I'm grateful. Exactly. Well, I have, a, a, you know, there's so much to unpack here, um, but I wanted to, uh actually ask you why um why not an H- hbcu for you i i know i know that you you know you went to dartmouth and you went to harvard i believe according to my husband who went to H- hbcu um that your father was the president of norfolk yes he's a president of norfolk state university for 22 years I grew up on the campus of Jackson State University. My family moved to Nashville where my father was at Tennessee State and later at Fisk University. Mm -hmm. And um, my mother, my stepmother both graduated from historically black colleges and universities and taught there. And uh, as I mentioned, my siblings and I grew up first on the campus of Jackson State and then later on the campus of Tennessee State. So I very much wanted that. And, mm-hmm. uh, but there, there's an interesting story, and some of your listeners may recall it, but when I was six years old, the first time I ever recall watching the news 
was about Little Rock and the integration mm. of the public schools there, Central High School. And I remember my father remarking to my mother, that's only 250 miles from us. Mm -hmm. And my parents had an interesting view of life. Uh, my father was a realist. My mother was an optimist. <laughs> and, but like millions of black parents of that time, uh, they wanted us to be ready when the change came. And that, you know, that was the change Sam Cooke was talking about. Right, right. right. And, uh, and they wanted us to be ready. And like other parents of that era, they poured everything into us, prepare yeah. us academically, every resource. And uh, so I'll be honest, there's much that I miss and regret that they did not have an opportunity to attend an historically black college or university. I'm grateful for the education that I did receive at Dartmouth and later Harvard and the friends that I made for life. Right. But when I had the chance uh, to teach at the Howard Law School, I couldn't resist. You made a point earlier, Merle, about the dearth of uh, black attorneys uh, in the practice of environmental law. Yeah. So not nearly as uh, um, renowned as Elaine Locke or Ralph Bunch or uh, uh, other black scholars who matriculated at Howard University, I wanted the opportunity to make a contribution. And I thought if I taught at the law school, I might be able to encourage students to become interested in environmental law. And our theme was that environmental justice would be the major civil rights issue of the 21st century. Right. And now with the Biden administration, it really appears that uh, we were correct in our prediction. Right. And I, I uh, actually went to law school at Berkeley with, uh, I don't know if you know Sheila Foster, but she's a... Um, yes, uh, I do. She, she, she's on our, uh, many years on the board of the Environmental Law Institute, a very respected <laughs> scholar and, as you know, an extremely talented person. Yeah. Yeah. So we were in law school together at Berkeley. And actually, she was one of my first uh, interviews for the pod podcast. So... Um, uh, uh, we'll give Sheila a little shout out here from from Ben Wilson. Um, well, well, you started with the best, and now you've descended. <laughs> but, uh, but but yes, you're you're correct to recognize her. Of course, thank you. One of the things of the many things that I uh, that I absolutely adore about you, Ben Wilson, is the fact that you're so responsive. Your your responsiveness is it's like unparalleled. Like, I'll just send you a, a quick email about something that's not even that significant. And you respond immediately. I'd love to think that I'm special, but I know that I'm not. So um, where did that come from? And, and how do you manage it? Well, let me say this, Merle, your husband and I both think you're special. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy that. And uh, but the truth is, you never know uh, how uh, important a situation is to the other person. And I believe in the golden rule, respond to people in the way that I wish people would respond to me. Yeah. And uh, I also, uh, like many of us, uh, get behind and get busy. And I think the one way I know to stay on top of things is to be responsive. And quite frankly, Merle, many times when people reach out to me, whether it's a client with a situation that's important, whether it's someone that's looking to fill a position and wants to identify talented people, or whether it's someone desperate to find a job, having difficulty in the profession, I think that it's important that uh, we are responsive to each other. And... Uh, um, I, one of the things I know what it means to be without a job, mm -hmm. I know how emasculating that can feel. And so when I hear from a young woman or young man or an older woman or an older man, I want to be responsive, not only with sympathy, with, but with specific suggestions and ideas. I have a contact list of about 2,500 clients and friends across America, which I share with people who are looking. 
and I asked them to make a list of up to 25 from my client listing and 25 from our diverse partners network list that you were kind enough to mention. And when people follow up uh, along with their own energy, uh, uh, looking at these uh, firms or looking at these companies or these agencies to see, is there an opening? And when they apply and they reach out to my friends, almost without fail, our network responds and people have a competitive chance uh, to do well. And then when I hear from great people like you about opportunities that are available, uh, I want to be responsive because I realize somebody's future uh, may be just a phone call ahead. So that's really what that is. Well, it's admirable. And, and I, I definitely you know wanted to have you talk about that because I think that too often there are people who are not very responsive or, 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 you know, at least not timely. And, and, you know, I think you use the, the right word there, energy. I think, I think it, it, it is a reflection on, on your energy and, you know, respectful, you know, respectful, how respectful you are. And I think that that um, can, you know, if, if you're energetic and respectful, uh, it goes a long way to having people help you. And we all need help. Nobody gets anywhere, I believe, without having been helped. Well, and I have been helped. So let me call the roll and we don't <laughs> have time for the whole for the whole discussion. But there are people like Vinnie Cohen, who was a noted litigator, tough as nails in in Washington, no matter how busy he was. He made time for me. There's Dennis Archer in Detroit who still does that. There's John Daniels in, in Milwaukee. Uh, there's uh, Larry Thompson in Atlanta. There are women who have gone the second and third mile uh, to assist me, and, and I owe them everything. And there are people who've just had an encouraging word. And uh, uh, so, um, so I'm grateful. And uh, time, again, would not allow me to to mention everyone, but but that's what I saw. I, I was also influenced by Wiley Branton, a man I greatly admired, and he was the attorney who represented those students in Little Rock. And uh, he was very kind and gracious to me, and I thought I was his favorite young person. I remember going to a function, Merle, and there was a young woman and two other young men and three other young women, and they all <laughs> felt the same way. But I couldn't be upset because I always thought how gracious he was to me. And when I felt a little sorry for myself, he would say, how's that lovely wife of yours? And you have the most beautiful little girl in the world. <laughs> well, he had lovely daughters of his own, uh, but he had a tactful but strong way of reminding me of the many blessings God has given me and to get me out of myself without chastising me, but tactfully reminding me uh, why I should be grateful. And I, I wanted to be positive and um, value added in my relationships the way he was with me. Well, I, and I, I have to say that I believe, I don't know what you believe makes you unique and I, I would like to hear, but I believe that your positivity and your responsiveness and you're willing to give um, so much of yourself to others definitely makes you unique. Well, you're very kind. I think that uh, any person is capable of uh, certainly the things that I've been able to do. But um, my mother wanted a minister, and I didn't think I was uh, <laughs> cut out to be the example. And, uh, and my father was an optimist and he was uh, encouraging, uh, aggressive, and uh, he always believed we should compete and, uh, and, uh, and we should not be afraid of competition. We should seek it out. And, uh, and uh, so I owe them a great deal. And I also owe uh, my stepmother who came into our lives after my mother died when I was 15 and uh, raised me as though I were her own son. So I owe everything to my parents. Well, that's, that's, that is wonderful. So you, you talked about the 2000, I, I mean, you talked about your, uh, 
the diverse partner network. Did you found that for the specific purpose of wanting to be able to have a network to help black folks find jobs or what, what was the, what was the impetus for that? Well, what really happened was I tried this several times before Merle and uh, I would host a meeting in my office, but I couldn't get anyone to host the second or the third meeting. Yeah. And my wife says it's not potluck if you're doing all the cooking. <laughs> this, these two fellows came to me and, and I admired them and they said, Ben, we need to organize the black partners in Washington. And I said, you know, I've tried that, but I can't any, get anyone to do the second or the third meeting. But Merle, they reminded me of my mother in the sense they were trying to get me to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I felt I was receiving a a heavenly message through them that I needed to do something. So I called together a group of 15 friends and I said, if we do this, will you host the second meeting? Will you host the third? Will you host the fourth? And and then I said to them, if we do this, men and women are going to be equal. This is not going to be like the church where the women do all the work and the men do all the talking. (laughs) Uh, We will uh, take turns doing the good stuff, and the stuff that's not always so much fun. And uh, and we got started. And we were privileged to invite uh, leaders in the law, professors, general counsel for major companies, uh, leading practitioners to speak to our group and to tell us their story. We put on programs. Uh, we had over 100 uh, mostly Black women who were in the government who wanted to know, how do I trans or from the government into the private sector and back again. And we ought to be able to do that the way others do. And we Uh did. Uh And then we uh, was asked to come to Baltimore, Philadelphia. I know I sound like Amtrak. (laughs) Chicago, Toronto, Houston, Dallas. And we found there was a need in all of those cities as well. And then we developed a newsletter which goes out every Friday to 6,000 diverse lawyers across the country. And so, Merle, if someone wins a big case or has a promotion uh, like you, we want their uh, JPEG photo to be there along with a link to the newspaper article or the press release or just a paragraph. We want someone other than their mother to know about their success. (laughs) All your friends from a bolt, we want them to know about you. And in the second section... We describe upcoming activities. So someone has a fundraiser for students who are uh, uh, going to attend Morehouse College. We put that in there. If we have someone who has a fundraiser for a, uh, a mentoring or tutoring after school program in Denver or Chicago or New Orleans, we put that in the newsletter. And then we have 84 employers, law firms, companies, federal, state, and local agencies, nonprofits, advertise open legal jobs, over 300 each week. And then there are wonderful people like you and in your business who will make us aware of opportunities, and we share that with our network. And I have received calls from people post-George Floyd who are seeking to fill uh, board positions, Uh, They may be uh, in geographic areas where uh, there is not a significant number of people of color, and they will ask me to identify people. And through our network, we are able to do that. Nice. And and when a woman or a man, and you know this, Merle, better than anyone, given the great work you do, but when a woman or a man finds meaningful employment, all else in their life improves. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, so speaking of, and and thank you for that. And I will say that my, my introduction to, uh, to that or to that uh, network was in Miami at the NBA um, several years ago. I think you had like your first small dinner. It was really small. We all sat around one table (laughs) and um, and now those, those events have grown uh, pre-COVID had grown to to very large events, um, but well, something to look could, forward to. If I could just make this small point. So we started this network, but then we started another network of African-American managing partners right. and general counsel. 
because we wanted to do something not just for ourselves, but for others uh, coming up in the profession. And we meet several times a year and we uh, talk about the great issues of the day and then we come up with action plans to address some of those issues. And that has made a huge difference. There are two people I'd like to give a shout out to here, April Miller Boys and Ernest Tuckett, and they lead something called the 2025 uh, General Council Initiative. Right. The goal is to have 100 black GCs among the Fortune 1000. I think we're at 67 now, but we have work to do. And we want to make certain that people have the right training, that they're prepared uh, for those interviews when they come up. And uh, and they, uh, April, Ernest, and others working with, with them are making a huge difference. And our network helped uh, facilitate that. I'm very proud of that. And I'm so proud of you too, and I'm so glad that I that I get invited to these to your that I'm on the list. Thank you. Yeah. I want to stay on the list. Um, always, always. Um, what what do you think, Ben, that it's going to take to to actually achieve equality in our profession? Well, um, I'll tell you a short story. Almost 160 years ago, Abraham Lincoln left the uh, Willard Hotel. And he went over to the White House and he made an announcement to his cabinet. He called them all in and he said, we must change our tactics or lose the game. Yep. And he told them, I'm going to announce the Emancipation Proclamation. And they begged him to wait until a Union victory was at hand. And he did. And, uh, and he made that announcement official on January 1st, 1863. And We've all been reading about Juneteenth, and we mm -hmm. now know how our friends and family in Texas did not learn until six months later. But I believe we have to change our tactics, Merle. Mm -hmm. And first, I think we need to, need to confront the bugaboo. I think there are many whites who do not believe blacks are their intellectual equal, and I don't think we can run from that challenge. Yep. And that's why when they do these studies and they tell a uh, a uh, person evaluating a, a memo uh, that it was written by a, a uh, white law student and they get a B and they told told that the same memo is written by a black law student, they get a C. Right. And so uh, we have to raise expectations and confront that. We hear a lot of talk about the Mansfield rule. You know, she was the first woman to practice before the United States Supreme Court. And it's really based upon the Rooney rule. Right. That Tom Williamson, Paul Tagliabue, others in the National Football League uh, made possible. And uh, and so suffice it to say, um, my view is that black women and men want to not only go on a client pitch, but when we come back successful mm -hmm. from that client pitch, they want 50 percent the of the credit, not just do the work, but I want origination credit for right. that work. And right. so if there's two of us that go, I can do that division. That's 50%. 50%. If there's three, right. that's 33 and a third and, and so on. And that has to change. And, and then we, uh, we need uh, courageous uh, general counsel, in-house counsel who are willing to give people a chance. And so uh, several years ago, uh, I met with a, general counsel of a major corporation in Northeastern United States. And he told me, Ben, I know Ted Wells. Who else do I need to know? Mm. And, I, and I might've given him two or three names and gone about my business. But my mother always said, be thorough. <laughs> I took 30 days and I made a list of 300 African-American attorneys in over 30 different practice areas, a list that we're still growing today because that company used not only lawyers who do criminal defense, investigate investigative work not only do they use environmental lawyers like me but they use lawyers who practice in antitrust and securities and ip and and we gave him that list and he uses that list now nice later i became the uh, a monitor for the duke energy company that had a terrible coal ash spill on super bowl sunday that super bowl that we won merle and uh, <laughs> 
So people said, uh, uh, when I finished, the general counsel said, Ben, we are pretty diverse, but those who represent us aren't as diverse. Do you have any ideas? I, we see that you're involved in diversity. And I said, uh, uh, yes, I do. They were women of a certain age, Merle. And I asked, do either of you happen to have teenagers or young adult children? And they nodded yes. And I asked them, well, what happens when your daughter or son want to go out on Friday night and they're not dressed properly? And one woman put her hands on her hips and said, she doesn't go out till she changes. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, maybe your firms don't get more work till they change. Wow. And the first, the first woman said, well, Ben, that's not fair. It's hard to find somebody. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, what if there was a list of African-American lawyers who went to the same law schools as the lawyers that you're using now and who work at the same firms? You've just never met them. Mm-hmm. She said that would be nice, but it doesn't exist. I pulled the list from my briefcase <laughs> and I slapped it on the table like an overconfident bidwist player going to Boston. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, um, they are using that. And we've, not just me alone, but working with others, uh, people like uh, Grace Spades and people like John Daniels and, and people like Fred Nance and Paul Sweeney went to over... Um, 50 or 60 Fortune 500 companies in person, and they are using those lists now, and they are making a huge, huge difference. And uh, uh, so that's one of the things. Those are the types of things that we must do. Years ago, when you and I were in school, and I recognize I am about 10 years ahead of you, we uh, used to... uh, uh, Companies and firms used to hire first-year students, and many are starting to do that again. We need to get people off the schneid. We need to get them a, a chance to get started. And yeah, I got my I, I got my my offer my first year after the my first summer. I got an offer full full time offer from Cooley. The second summer, I got two offers: Morrison Forster and Finley Cumble. That doesn't happen anymore. No, it does not. But let me say this. We have to challenge the status quo. If we don't do that, we'll make a mistake. So when you see, uh, and it's not just on the African-American partners, but God knows we must speak up. And I would say associates have more power than they realize, and they must speak up. And there's a generation or two of young uh, white lawyers who went to integrated schools, right? Right. and uh, their friends are black, their friends are diverse, and they want to work in a diverse environment. I don't think I have to be a woman to say that I want a maternity leave policy, right? right? Uh, and uh, I think men can speak up for women, and I think all can speak up for discreet and insular minorities, and God knows we must continue to speak up for ourselves. So yes, I, I think it matters. and. Think about it this way, with the pandemic, not everyone's going back to work. And so talent, we're all in a, in a battle, in a war for talent, really. And so if we don't speak up now in the wake of George Floyd after the sacrifice, not only that he made, yeah. but of the 1,300 African-American women and men who died either while in police custody or while being accosted by law enforcement or others who pretended to be such, we will never get this done. Right. And so there has to be an urgency, you know, as Dr. King would talk about an urgency of now. Right. Well, and what I, when I, uh, firms ask me, like they ask you, you know, the, the, you know, what about quality? What about quantity? You know, and my, my response is, what are you willing to do differently to get a different result? Um, so, you know, I, I think you and I are definitely on the same page there. Well, what, this, what? But this quality issue, that's a uh, that's a red herring. Yep. And the fact of the matter is, most law firms will tell you they only look at the top 10 law schools, Law Review, Law Journal, Order of the Coif. I dare anyone, look yep. in, in Martindale, they may not use Martindale anymore, but look up the, the bios of the lawyers in any given firm, and you'll find 40, 50, 60 
law schools represented. Now, there can't be 50 in the top 10, right? Right. <laughs> and then if you ask someone, as I once did at one of my partner meetings, close your eyes and tell us who are the top five lawyers in the firm, irrespective of gender, where they went to school, who are the top five? Now, some of them went to the top 10 schools, but not all. Right. Some of them finished at the top of their class, but not all. Right. Some clerk for federal judges, but not all. And I dare say that's true of any legal employer. And uh, so we need to be honest about who we really are. We are not who we say we are. Yeah. And that needs to change. Well, one of my favorite Benisms, <laughs> and I use this uh, in, when I'm talking to clients all the time. When 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 I'm confronted with with those arguments, is you know, I remember you saying that you asked your your partners, or you you asked your partners that question that you just said, and then your the response was, you know, it a lot of a lot of us wouldn't even get hired today. That's right. You know, so how is it that that we can run these firms, um, but uh, we wouldn't even be able to get in? Well, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And the reality, though, is talent is everywhere. It doesn't reside in just the top 10 schools in the U.S. News and World Report. It doesn't. there are talented people at the law school where I teach at Howard who can compete with anyone in the world. And they've proven that since 1867 and given a chance, we'll prove it tomorrow. And uh, so that's, that's what I think. And uh, what we can't measure is this uh, drive in a person, this resilience. I think the most yeah. important human quality, the ability to rebound, the ability to come back, the ability to overcome. Yeah. And if you have that and some modicum of God-given intelligence and talent, all things are possible. And uh, that's what I think. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned, you just keep, you know, uh, tossing me these these balls to talk, for me to hit um, uh, for this, this conversation. And I was going to ask you, how did you manage through you know, the pandemic and the civil unrest, the regression of civil rights and now, you know, voting rights, um, you know, the case that just came down this week from the Supreme Court regarding voting rights. And But before you answer that question, I just want to tell you that when people ask me how I've managed, my response has been, look, I'm j- I've just been trying to perfect, perfect resiliency. That's that that's all it's for me it's all about being resilient. That that that's the only thing that I can strive for in these uncertain times. Well, here's what I would say. I believe that these great challenges of life uh reveal our character, right? It's uh uh as Dr. King would say, it's not what we do in times of comfort, right? That matters. Right. It's at times of difficulty, times of challenge. And this is those of us that have lived longer than 15 minutes know that the current challenge is just the most recent challenge. Right. And as uh, Charles Dickens observed many years ago, these were the best of times. These were the worst of times. But I remember uh, at almost 12 years old when uh, the uh, Bull Connor turned those uh, hoses fire hoses yep. and German shepherds on high school, middle school students in Birmingham. I remember that summer in my hometown of Jackson, Mississippi, Medgar Evers being murdered, his body right there in his driveway on Gines, and uh, uh, how sad we were that June. I remember that fall, that September when, I believe it was September, four little girls age 11 to 14 were murdered when their church was bombed between Sunday school and church. But you know, those things, and then finally that following summer, Freedom Summer, James Cheney, who was from Meridian, and uh, Andrew Goodman and Mickey Schwerner, who were from New York, uh, were found buried in an earthen dam after being searched for for weeks. Hmm. And the 
the states at all, they're off on a lark. They're hiding out somewhere. We all knew they were dead. We just didn't know where. Mm -hmm. But those events led to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And the next year, when uh, John Lewis made good trouble and crossed that Edmund Pettus Bridge along with other people, uh, we got the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And without those two statutes, you don't get to Barack Obama. Right. And uh, because you remember Super Tuesday when uh, Hillary Clinton won the major northeastern states, Barack Obama won many southern states that he could not win in the general election, but it helped offset the victories that she had in the large uh, northeastern states. And so what happens before matters, that was a critical, horrible time, not unlike what we're facing now with the pandemic and the murder of George Floyd and that of so many others. But it uh, it's an inflection point. We want a uh, movement, not a moment. And yeah. we, want, we want this change and we have to have the change. And uh, America needs the change. America needs its best. And some of its best are people of color. Yes, yes, yes. So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch reels here. We're gonna talk about something a little lighter, maybe a little bit more fun. Uh, clearly, near and dear to your heart. I have to, I have to start with talking about my husband Jeff, who is you know huge uh, sports fan, huge football fan. His team is the Washington football team because he's from um, Maryland. Um, but I told him I was gonna be talking to you, and he was like, oh. Um, let me go to my list of quotes. I have some Ben Wilson quotes here. I was like, what? He's like, I said, why do you have Ben Wilson quotes? He said, oh, when I find quotes that I, I really like, I, I put them on my list. And you made his list twice, Ben, and he doesn't even know you. <laughs> well, he's very kind and gracious, but you tell him I probably took him from somebody else. <laughs> well, so I'm going to read this this one quote. And then we can have a conversation about your nephew. Um, but the quote is, a child is not born with a dream in his heart. Someone has to suggest it to them. And then you went on to say, Russell's father said, Russell, you could do this one day. You could be a great baseball player. You could play both sports. And Russell believed that. He was an apt pupil. Uh, so my husband saved that quote because he loved it. Um, I think it was for, from several years ago about your nephew, your nephew Russell Wilson, the uh, maybe even before he was as famous as he is. Do you remember that? I remember it uh, very well, and uh, it tells the truth. My uh, brother uh, Harrison, who was named for our father, and he has another son, Harrison, who's the fourth, and. Uh, uh, but suffice it to say, he taught all of his children that he asked each of them that rhetorical question, why not you? And, uh, and so uh, my brother, uh, with his sons and daughter, as my father did with me and my siblings and my mother, they were getting us ready for the world that was to come. And... Uh, and Harrison wanted Russell to know there were no limitations. You know, uh, God made him the size he was for a reason. There were people who said he was too short. He couldn't pass from the pocket. He couldn't uh, uh, call the plays at the line of scrimmage. All the criticisms that have been made of African-American quarterbacks and, uh -huh. quite frankly, uh, excuses for not being given a meaningful opportunity. But... Uh, uh, God knows what Russell was ready. He was prepared and, uh, and determined. And what's exciting is that he's not the only one. There are many. And the lessons that uh, uh, my brother taught his uh, sons and daughter are also true for uh, young people who are not athletes. And so as parents, we have to be very careful uh, Merle, of the things that we say to our children. Yes. One of my uh, great uh, heroes was Wilma Rudolph. And uh, 
you may recall, uh, I was nine years old and I was in love with Wilma. She was 20. <laughs> and at the Rome Olympics, they called her the Black Gazelle. Uh-huh. And, uh, and she was so graceful. But most people don't know that uh, she had uh, polio as a child. She had braces. And all the doctors in Clarksville, Nashville told her that she would never walk without a lamp, much less run. She said, my mother told me I would run. I listened to my mother. Wow. And I like to tell that story, particularly to young women, but to anyone. Be careful who you listen to. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't take much to tell you why something can't be done. Yep. But all credit to the mothers who never give up on their children like Wilma's mother did with her. And um, and so that that's what we believe. I believe in it wholeheartedly. I don't believe there's anything special about our family. I think that you have to have this belief and this drive and this determination. And... Uh, and this faith. And I think those are all, all critical, critical things. And, uh, and parents uh, must be mindful of the words they use around their children, words of possibility, words of confidence, words of determination, uh, words of success. And, uh, and I think they matter. Here, here. So, and Russell's not the only uh, successful athlete in your family. He may be the most famous, but you you have a niece, right, who's an athlete scholar who just graduated from um, Stanford? Yes, she did. She received an under, undergraduate degree and a master's degree, and uh, she's going to go back for a second master's degree. Wow. They, they won the Women's National Championship, uh, the Cardinal. and uh, What sport? basketball basketball okay and uh and so she is uh really she's the best athlete in our family uh russell told a story he was being interviewed after they won the state championship in football for the third year the coach from the other school said well at least we won't have to face russell anymore he says i have a little sister (laughs) and she's got great hands and all the kids in the school the next day of course teased her but uh but she's a remarkable young woman. She's a person of faith. and But I must tell you, uh, as proud as I am, they have an older brother, Harrison. Uh, I have other uh, nephews and nieces who are making their way. I have my daughter also, of whom I'm very proud. And she uh, works very hard to, uh, addressing diversity and inclusion issues at the Oric Law Firm. And she oh, nice. And What's her husband, name? Her name is Rachel. Very proud of Rachel. She was a very fine athlete and played basketball in college. And then I've, uh, and we've got this grandson that she and my son-in-law have given us, and we're so proud of him and excited to be with him. Uh, well, congratulations! You know, I have a twin, identical twin uh, grandsons that were born during the pandemic also. So it's, it's, it's very different. I now understand, um, you know, how different it is to be a grandparent, how, 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 how wonderful it is to be a grandparent. And like you um, had with, with your family, I had something very similar. Um, You know, my parents were there constantly, you know, the piano lessons and the tennis lessons and, and every, just about everything that, that my daughter was able to do while my husband and I were working um, was because of my parents and their commitment. So, you know, I have my husband and I have like really big shoes to fill. Well, and I'm confident that you will. And, uh, um, uh, you know, the interesting thing about life, uh, there are all these things that we're concerned Will I be able to do that? And uh, God has a way of giving us a strength and a uh, faith that allows us to do those things that uh, 10 years ago, a year ago, yesterday that we thought we could not do. So, Ben, I've, I've taken a lot of your time and I really appreciate your being here with us. I, I want to ask you just one last question. And, and you know, because you are so inspiring and such a mentor 
to, to so many people. I just want to give you an opportunity to maybe give some last words of encouragement or advice uh, to others, uh, particularly, you know, our, our lawyers of color about embracing their authentic self and, and staying true to self. Well, I believe strongly that you have to have to be yourself. You can't be anyone else. And uh, there's no, no one way <laughs> Uh, to be black, <laughs> there's no one way to practice law, uh, and there's no right or wrong way. It's it's what you choose uh, to do. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that none of us wants or needs to be at a place where we can't be ourselves. Sometimes right. in life, um, our parents and grandparents certainly had to do that. We have to stay on a job because we have to put food on the table. And we have to pay the mortgage or the rent and all the other things that most of us have to deal with. But where there is an opportunity, don't settle. Right. Don't settle and uh, find your voice, find your opportunity. And, um, and, the, and that's what I would encourage. And I would hasten to add, you don't have to be a certain age to do anything. There's no, never a perfect time. And uh, Dr. King said, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. Yes. And I believe that. And uh, the other mantra, quite frankly, that has governed my life is one that uh, is attributed to Jackie Robinson. He said, uh, a life is unimportant except in the impact it has on other lives. Yeah. And so when we think about what we do and what we hope to be remembered for, think about the impact we've had on our children, on our grandchildren. And if you're blessed enough on those who are not yours, mm -hmm. who may in fact uh, be the ones who change the world. And so I, I hope we'll have that type of spirit. And bro, I wanna thank you for this opportunity. Every time we get together, it isn't an opportunity. Thank you for what you're doing. And uh, this is not BSing, this is good stuff. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Oprah's in trouble. You you are you ask great questions and you draw it out of us. Please thank the husband for that wonderful uh, question and quote. And uh, but most of all, thank you for what you're doing and thank you to your audience uh, uh, today for their time. Thank you so much, Ben. I can't wait until we can be together in person again. Uh, and. Thanks for being here with, with me to BS today. And thanks to everyone for listening. Until the next episode, remember, everybody is different and different is good. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. We hope you enjoyed the stories shared in today's episode of BS, Beyond Stereotypes. Join us next time when another authentic personality unleashes their uniqueness on the world.